What's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio episode, I believe we're at 133 now? Something like that, yeah. I don't know. We'll find out when I post it. Haha, <laughs> this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Ethaniel. Ethaniel. I, I like that, sir. I like that very nice much. Christian name. <laughs> there it is. All right. Um, so this week, last week we covered the London Film Festival. This week, Barry and I will be talking about the Denver, the Stars Denver Film Festival. But before we get to all that, we got to talk about what we watched this week. I have watched Jack and Squat because I've been working so much. So I'll let you guys take it. <laughs> So we're the lazy ones because we've seen movies. All right, well, let's see. Uh, I guess I'll go. Seen a lot of trauma movies this week. Cause, <laughs> I uh, can't imagine Because we had Lloyd Kaufman and his lovely wife Pat come to UCCS uh, for a two-week retrospect on Lloyd's career, which was Tonight. a lot of fun. Tonight. Uh, feels like it's been about a two-year process. Uh, it was a while getting it going. But yeah, it was two nights, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, Lloyd was fantastic, and we had a good time. But no, I've, over the last few days, I've seen The Toxic Avenger, the fourth entry in The Toxic Avenger. <sighs> That's a rough and one. Poultry, well, I like them both. And then Poultrygeist, uh, Night of the Chicken Dead, which uh, which went over really huge. Um, there's just something about that movie that really clicked with the college crowd. I can't imagine why that is, but uh, I, I like the film. Um Let's see. I went back and watched uh, a terrible Christmas movie that makes me laugh anyway called The Perfect Holiday just because I like to see Charlie Murphy as as rap star Jay Jizzy. I live, I live, <laughs> I live for that, honestly. Other than, other than that, it's a dreadful, dreadful film. I nice. watched the original Holiday Inn with uh, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Such a good movie. You know, I like it until the blackface, and then okay. I completely <laughs> no. turn against it. Um, no, you know what? Because I, I got to tell you, Ethan, like for a while, I'm like, this is better than White Christmas because, you know, this is the movie that White Christmas was based on. And and yeah, the, for a while, like the dancing and the singing is great. It's actually really funny. Like for an hour, the movie had me and then Fred Astaire and the rest of the cast show up in blackface and uh, no, Bing Crosby, actually. And I I was just so appalled <laughs> and the movie never recuperated for me. Um, so yeah, um, I saw the Italian film. I'm really excited to see this movie because I heard it was so good. And I was really disappointed. Um, the, the Italian movie I Am Love with Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's solid for a while. Really slow at first, but really visually beautiful. And then the second half of it, it gets into this really predictable and melodramatic love story about forbidden love, about uh, Tilda Swinton having an affair with her son's business partner. And then it ends with this cliched cornball art movie tragedy, and it gets really melodramatic and really ridiculous, and it just it starts to become like kind of a parody of an art movie. Okay. But the one I want to recommend that everybody see this week because they really need to see it, um, the film that Rod, Robert Dennerstein has told me uh, that the, this is his pick for best film of the year so far, and I think it's a very very good uh, valid entry, is uh, Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone is incredible. Um, this now, is, is it uh, on DVD now? Or it's on DVD, yeah. Is it on streaming too or just? Mm-mm. Okay. Nope, nope, just, yeah. It's just out on DVD and it's uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Everybody thinks she's going to be up for an Academy Award. This is uh, basically about extremely, extremely poor people living in Missouri. What happens when this uh, girl's father, who is a methadone uh, addict, um, he basically vanishes, everybody's out for him, and she goes on this journey to find her father. And the way this, even though it's a modern day story, the way the story is played out, it feels like she's going on this, like almost like a medieval quest. And the movie's incredibly scary, really intense, and never predictable. And it's just a terrific, terrific story. And there's a big, uh, well, I don't want to say big name celebrity, but there's a very famous cast member in the movie that Ethan and I know very well. Um, and I don't want to say who it is because it's Joshua such a, Jackson. No, no, no. Okay. Um, I'll just say it's from the Twin Peaks universe. I, and, I was about to mention how weird was it seeing her in there. Isn't that something? I uh, for about five minutes I didn't even know who I was looking at. Um, I couldn't believe it was her, and there she is. Um, but no, otherwise, I don't think there was a bad performance in the movie. I think it's a great, great film. 
Cool. And, you know, I just realized I have been watching two things. Um, I, we've, I've started watching Castle, which is a heck of a lot of fun. Nathan just, just started? Yeah. Yeah, oh. we're just in the, we're into the second season now. Cool. And, uh, you know, it, it's a formulaic procedural, you know, cop show, but the chemistry between Nathan Fillion and the lady who plays Beckett, Beckett so good. It's just so much fun. And we started watching Burn Notice. I like Burn Notice. Yeah. yeah. No, those yeah. two good shows. Yeah. yeah. Having a great time with those. So, yeah. That, taking a little break from movies because I'm kind of movied out. And the one movie movied I did out? Come on. For right now. We can't be movied out. For right We're now. screen geeks. We don't get movied out. We go okay. to film festivals. You're right. I got Best Worst Movie in the Mail today, so I'll be watching it tonight. There you go. Um, there you but go. yeah, outside of that, just kind of take a little bit of a break. And the one movie I have seen I can't talk about till next week when we aren't doing a show, so mm-hmm. I don't know how I'll get that up. Can't talk about Yogi Bear? Come on. You know, I know. you want to tell us about Yogi Bear, Dave. You know, I know. you do. I know. I know. It's a heartbreaker. Wasn't if- Justin Timberlake amazing? I thought he was astonishing. His boobie. I thought the cameo by Thor's hammer after the end credits was really interesting yeah it was kind of strange how it popped up in yogi bear but no i agree that was probably one of the better scenes of the film especially with how phallic it was yeah and but dan Aykroyd, i mean i think uh between him and uh dan d lewis for lincoln next year i think there's going to be a real cl- a really close tight race at the oscars so wow so ethan what you been watching sir uh, I decided to revisit a film I hadn't seen in maybe eight or nine, maybe even ten years. Uh, the Curtis Hansen film Wonder Boys. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I it actually wasn't quite as good as I remember, but I still, it was still a pretty enjoyable watch. And like Michael Douglas is just such a pimp. Like I just, <laughs> I, I really do love that guy. I'm, yeah. I need. To I kind of want to be his character in that movie when I grow up. It's probably my favorite Tobey Maguire performance, to tell you the truth. Well, it's interesting watching him and Robert Downey Jr. together and seeing something. Oh, there's a Spider-Man and uh, Iron Man. That's right, in bed together, snuggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the film. Let me ask you this, because, and I'll be honest, like the one thing I don't like about the movie, and it, I think it's one of the best films of its year, but the one thing I didn't like is, and maybe you can agree with this. You know, the, the story is so random, it's almost to a point where it's non-existent. We're basically just watching these characters live. There's really no narrative to the film. Do you, do you agree with that? Or Well, it's based on a book, right, by Michael Chabon? Michael Ch- yeah, wonderful author. Yeah, author of Cavalier and Claire. And Clay, it, rather. Yeah, I guess that just comes from that, I don't know. Fair enough. Enjoyable film, though. Um, yeah. Next on the David Cronenberg kick for that paper I should start writing, uh, <laughs> I watched his first feature film, uh, Shivers, hmm. and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It's interesting on the DVD, there's a special feature I watched, and um, David Cronenberg was talking about the production of it, and it's funny how he basically told, he said that um, Ivan Reitman actually taught him how to make films. Well, there's something you'd never expect to hear from Wow. Ivan Reitman. Because uh, Ivan Reitman's uh, production company funded yeah. basically a lot of Cronenberg's films. And Cronenberg was talking about how he'd be at like these meetings and he wouldn't know like what an assistant director does or a, a gaffer does or coverages. And, and like Ivan Reitman kind of like <laughs> led him along the way. And I just I was like, wow. That is so amazing. Reitman's like, well, see what we did on Meatballs, see, when you could do on your little film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Have you seen um, um, M. Butterfly yet? No, I, I don't know if I'll get around to that, to be honest. Okay, well, I'd love to hear what you think when you see it. That's one of my favorite Cronenberg films. I think it's one of his most underrated. All right. Underrated. <laughs> underrated, yeah. Um, 
Well, I just said all right, so I guess that's a good transition to this next one. I finally saw The Kids Are All Right, oh. or as it's called in uh, Quebec, Une Family Dans Unique. And um, honestly, I, w- I, I wasn't crazy about it. Thank I, you. Uh, I thought all the performances were fine. I thought Mark Ruffalo in particular was hilarious in it. But I I just I, – I'm, now I'm saying this as someone who isn't uh, – in a lesbian relationship with two children, but the whole movie just rang very false to me. It's kind of hard to describe, but in particular, there's one thing, I won't spoil it, where two characters do something that kind of drives most of the conflict in the third act, and I honestly did not believe that for a second. I don't yeah. know about you. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And Would this I, be a Chasing Amy type moment? I haven't uh, seen the movie, so I'm just asking. No, no, okay. it's... You know, and I would even go so far as to say... If this was about a straight couple and the the you know the strain of a straight couple relationship, I think this movie would be completely uninteresting. But the fact that it is a lesbian couple is really the only thing that keeps them interesting because it's a novelty to see you know to see a, a basically a mainstream American movie like this. This is a very safe film, I think. Um, I I don't think it's quite the the groundbreaking film that everybody's making it out to be. I lo- I really like the performances, especially in that Benning. But uh, no, I, I agree with you, Ethan. I don't think there's really much to this movie. In fact, it's one of these movies people keep reminding me I've seen. Yeah, uh, I just I just know on Oscar morning when I'm watching the nominations, they're like the nominees for best picture are, and when they say it, I'm gonna be like, Bleh! so. Yep, me too, me too. But I like Ruffalo too. I think Ruffalo is, I think his character was the most interesting. I think his character was the most fleshed out. I did not like the way they shoved his character to the side at the end of the movie. I think that was not fair at all because this story was about his journey too. And I think um, the way he was basically brushed off at the end of the film was uh, was seriously not cool because, you know, this is about an, um, an unorthodox family and he was a part of that family. And I didn't think it was cool the way he basically just got kicked out of the film. Yeah. yeah. What else yeah. have you seen? Oh, but on a, an even better note, I, I, I watched The Last Airbender. Oh, wow. my. <laughs> I don't really even need to talk about this. Everything you've heard about it is true. <laughs> is it the worst thing you've seen this year, or have you seen worse? This and Remember Me, man. Wow. Oof. You know, I, I have actually, to see it. I, I have actually, to see it now. I actually did see Remember Me the other day for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should comment on that very briefly. Um <laughs> wow. I mean, I don't think I hated it as much as you guys did, but I mean, I, I agree on most parts. I mean, Robert Pattinson's dreadful and completely out of his league in that film. It's such an unpleasant movie. I mean, it begins with that subway shooting, yeah. and then it's sandwiched with the 9-11 stuff. It's like, man, like, what a what a kick to the crotch of all the, the Twilight fans who want to see a Robert Pattinson movie. What an ugly, ugly film. And, you know, when the teacher writes, you know, September 11, 2001 on the board, I mean, like... I knew the scene was coming, but it still kind of killed a little piece of me <laughs> to see that. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because, like, he's surrounded by these brilliant actors. I mean, you know, like like Pierce Brosnan's in the film and, there's some, and Chris, uh, Chris Cooper. There's some wonderful actors in that movie. And, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a train wreck of a film. Oh, yeah. So, no, oh, yeah. no. I, Double feature with Postal. Still saying it. Oh, God. I can't believe you get behind that movie as much as you do. <laughs> My gosh. Uber Bowl right now is going, <laughs> one person. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry, what else have you seen, Ethan? Was that it? Last night, Brendan? Uh, last, last thing I want to mention. Uh, last night I watched Oh Lucky Man for the first time. Yeah, was that, wait, is that the one with Malcolm McDowell? 
Yeah, it's directed by the guy who did If. Yes, yes. And um, this movie is it's pretty amazing, I'll say that. It's um, basically it's about Malcolm McDowell is this guy working at a like in a coffee factory and it's about how he kind of rises up, you know, through uh, the ch- you know, the chain and becomes like richer and richer or poorer and poorer then richer and richer and basically it's a, bi- a big allegory about capitalism. And it's three hours long and has these musical interludes by this band who are kind of like acting like a Greek chorus throughout the movie, like just performing songs. And um, eventually he meets up with this band. And this, it's also one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Like I wouldn't dare describe some of just the, the crazy stuff that happens in this movie. There's one scene in particular I'll say. I remember, I think, I can't remember if I saw this on TV or on YouTube once, where I'll just say Malcolm McDowell is in a hospital room with another guy. And... I'd, I'd, I'd seen that scene before and was like, where is this movie from? And when I saw it in this movie, it blew me away. And um, yeah, I can't, I just, just see this movie. It's pretty amazing. Okay. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's really solid. It's on Criterion now out here. But uh, yeah, I really wanted to see that for some time. Cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about what hit theaters this weekend. And I no, I didn't say anything, but oh well. No, not yet. I have to see uh, the number one movie in the world. In fact, it's on its way to be to having one of the top openings of all time, if not the biggest opening of all time. That's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One. Part hey, One. There's a review on it. Ain't it cool that called it the Empire Strikes Back of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, they say that crap all the time. <laughs> Dark Knight is the Empire Strikes Back of the uh, Aliens was the Empire Strikes Back of it. No, no. Lower your expectations, fans. Um, also, the new film from Paul Haggis, director of Crash and in the Valley of Elah. That is the next three days, starring Russell Crowe and Elizabeth Banks. About Wait, you're going to say non-movie star Russell Crowe? Oh, come on. Come Dang. on. It tanked this weekend, just proving my third of the theory that Russell Crowe is not a movie star anymore. Just saying. Could anything have done well this weekend up against Harry Potter? Do you think? I don't think so. All right, on DVD, we got Beauty and the Beast, the two-disc diamond DVD. Why is it the diamond DVD? Because they had the diamond Blu-ray. This is for the people who didn't want to have the two two Blu-rays and one DVD of the movie. Okay. They just want the two DVDs with all the special features. So this is a way for, for Disney to make more money. Okay. It's good on them. Uh, the next two films, the two movies that wiped the floor with Scott Pilgrim. Uh, one is a good movie, one is not. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's uh, Ode to Testosterone, The Expendables on the three. Every one of is, us is. Expendable. And that yep. is the three disc <laughs> Blu ray DVD DC. Digital copy. We Sorry, I just think DC okay. Comics. There's a That's spinoff. Right. Yeah, and then there's um, the DVD version, and yeah. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the newest assault on cinema with her gigantic teeth, uh, Julia Roberts in <laughs> Eat, Pray, oh, Love. Below the belt, Barry. Below the belt. Smiling her way through another movie. I'm Julia Roberts. I'm smiling. Smiling is not acting, darling. Uh, the Complete Metropolis. This is Fritz Lang's masterpiece with 20 so or so minutes added to it, so check it out incredibly good oh. yeah this is on Netflix streaming I'm gonna be watching is this it? yeah oh. can't wait to see that again soon nice. America's Lost and Found the BBS story this is the Criterion edition with some of the greatest films of the 70s including the monkey's epic head um, 
Easy Rider, the Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda film, uh, Five Easy Pieces, Jack Nicholson's great film with Bob Raffleson, Drive, he said, Jack Nicholson's film debut of, in terms of being a director starring Bruce Dern, A Safe Place, the weird film with Orson Welles and Jack Nicholson, Last Picture Show, Peter Bogdanovich's masterpiece with Jeff Bridges and Sipple Shepard, and finally, The King of Marvin Gardens with Bruce Dern and Jack Nicholson. That's a uh, what's, the, what's the retail price on that? How, how, how much is that going to set me back? I think it's like 80 or 90 bucks. Okay. And, it's, and it comes out the day, like, no, two days after the uh, Barnes & Noble sale ends. Hmm. Which ends tomorrow, if I post this tonight. It ends on Sunday. So if you want to get Modern Times on Criterion for 20 bucks, get a move on. All right. And then Batman Beyond, the complete series, limited edition. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then one more. I'm sorry. The uh, Casey Affleck. Just kidding. I'm still here with uh, Casey <laughs> Affleck and uh, some guy named Joaquin Phoenix. There you go. All right. Yeah. I'm, I don't think I need to buy anything this week, honestly. Mm. Well, I, I, I'll get Metropolis at some point, but I don't think I need well, to Well, I want America's week. Lost and Found, the BBS story. That's for sure. Yeah, just not for that much money. I'll wait for the next Burns and Noble sale. It's cool. I'll trade my car in. I'll be able to get it. There you go. Totally. Totally. All right. Let's move on to some news. Uh, Ethan, why don't you kick us off, sir? Uh, I have a, I have an idea here. How about we just do all the trailers first? That Good works. Idea. That works. Do you want to do yours um, first or do mine first? I'll start with the one I, I showed you guys for the show. The Red Band trailer for Your Highness came out, the new uh, David Gordon Green film. Yep. <laughs> Were you not blown away by this, Barry? No. Uh, I, I think it looks like another year one. I think it looks terrible. So it needs more uh, Lawrence of My Labia jokes in it is what you're saying? Jokes would be good. Jokes would be good. No, but more uh, hilarious double entendres about labias. That's more in the very worst uh, sense of humor. Wow. I like jokes, you know, and profanity is not jokes. And I think uh, I've had enough of Danny McBride. I think I've had my fill. Natalie Portman kind of has me interested in the movie, just because it's like she like gets to kick ass and take names. Well, she's slumming it, though. This well, is yeah, the movie totally. she did in between Black Swan, you know. This is, nah. <laughs> this, is, this is like Keira Knightley in King Arthur, you know. Hey. Look, come on. But Justin Thoreau as an evil wizard? Come on. Justin Thoreau is cool, but, you know, when he's not wearing those super cool glasses, no. Hmm. All right, then. He's got to be wearing those Mulholland Drive glasses. <laughs> you had another okay. one, right, Ethan? Uh, there was the uh, Cowboys and Aliens trailer, right? Oh, was... yes. Yeah, I think it looks wonderful. I yeah. can't wait to see this. It looks so good. I... I'm pretty mixed about this movie in that I like the idea that it's being like the it's being played as like a straight western just with aliens in it. But on the other hand, a movie with the title Cowboys and Aliens should not take itself seriously. Yeah, yeah. I still think it looks like it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I can't I, wait. No, I, I yeah I agree. I mean, I, I like the mood that was established. It looks very promising. It looks like Ford actually has a role that's really well suited for him. And uh, yeah, this could be another. You know, another movie that, that Daniel Craig could actually carry as opposed to being carried along with. So. Yep. I was going to um, Olivia Wilde's in this, right? Yep. Why, why is she well-known again? I think it's one of those casting by associations movies. It's like, oh, she's going to be huge, man. She's going to be in Tron. She's going to be huge. She's going to be <laughs> and get me. You know, I think this is this is kind of like when, you know, like we're talking about like the Colin Farrell effect, how Colin Farrell was casting everything before he was anybody. But, like, you know, it's kind of one of these things, like, you know, we're going to cast Sam Worthington in Terminator, man. He's going to be huge once Avatar comes out. So, yeah, so we'll see. Like, not that I'm complaining. She's a calmly young woman. But 
it just it just seems like she's very famous and i'm like what what, what was other than that few episodes of the oc she was on i i can't say i've seen her in anything else what is she isn't she on something right now i'm trying to think what it is is she in the tutors or one of those shows or dave look this up i've got no idea you know i told i i just what was her name again olivia <laughs> wild with an e see you like that um yeah oh for sake o-l-i <laughs> all right let's check imdb yeah. and see what she's on she looks like the chick from chuck but nope not the chick from chuck try saying that fast a few times hey speaking of year one she's in year one House. She's oh, on she's house. on House. That's what it is. I'm sorry. She's in House. Oh, she's also in the next three days, man. She is busy. She was Madonna in the Weird Al Yankovic movie. Sick is some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Again, she'll always be uh, the lesbian lover of Marissa on the OC. But <laughs> well, there you go. I had a student reference the OC in his paper that he turned into me. He's like, you know, this reminds me of season four of the OC, and he was starting to get into the plot. And I just thought, what's what's the problem with that? Uh, well, it offended my very soul, but beyond that, no problem. <laughs> well, the OC was a great show. Come California! On. Yeah, yes, it was a great show. I used to watch it, admittedly. I never okay. did. Okay, wow, wow. Have you got any other trailers, Ethan? No. Okay, well, let's get into Source Code trailer. Did you see that one, the new Duncan Jones trailer? Um, I. It's funny, I watched this last night after getting home when I was really drunk. So I had like no idea what was going on. <laughs> wow, I can imagine this trip. Wow, okay. Essentially, it's Jake Gyllenhaal's an army guy who the military has some kind of technology where you can uh, relive the last eight minutes of anyone's life before they die, and it, it looks very high concept. Hmm. But then again, Moon admittedly was pretty high concept too. So why would you do that? To they want to find out who there's supposed to be another bomb that goes off in like six or eight hours. So they want him to investigate and find out who the bomber was. Okay. So okay. yeah, it, it looks pretty interesting. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, Moon Moon was a was a stunning debut. So I hope this you know hope he keeps making great movies. Yeah, me too. And then the Green Lantern trailer. Yeah, the Green Lantern trailer. A lot of us fine. It's the Green Lantern. Ethan, were you the same? I movie? have no interest in this movie. Okay, so you didn't even watch the trailer, did you? No, I watched the trailer. I just have no interest in seeing it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I liked. There's a lot to like in the trailer. Um, His abs? Totally. See, you got me. Um, there, for some reason, I just don't like the suit still on him. I don't know. There's just something about it that just catches me wrong. Outside that, I loved everything else. I loved the ring effect with the giant fist. That was flipping awesome. And seeing Kilowog and Sinestro and Tomar Ray. And yes, I know all these characters' names. That's how big a nerd I am. This movie would be so much better with Jack Black in it. Sorry. It's oh. just the truth. Jack Black? Oh curse you sir um but you know i i i have my concerns but i'll still be there opening day but you always you're always talking about the suit why why is it the suit just because it's cgi there's something about the cgi that just doesn't it looks off i don't know why it looks fine on every other character except him for some reason Hmm. to me i've watched the trailer a few times i can't shake the feeling but we'll see i'm still more than willing to give the film a shot you think it'd be better if he actually wore like a physical suit or i don't know possibly but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens next year or okay. two years or whatever it is. And speaking of comic books, we've got that picture of Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. I am Lord. Yeah, this looks like a real mistake. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the, the, the Stallone Judge Dredd. Um, 
Did that, didn't, wasn't there like, didn't that movie have a really famous soundtrack or am I confusing that with something else? It probably did. It probably had a, a pretty good metal soundtrack. Let, let me look real quick. Just because, you know, we, we have the, the glory of the internet here. Well, it wasn't a successful soundtrack. I mean, if it has a cult following, but, but no, when it came out, everything about that movie was a, was a failure. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me look and see what's on here. Um, that's all stuff that's just, okay. That's we got not... the cure. No, go back. No, here we go. Uh, uh. What? There we go. All right, we got The Cure, White Zombie, mm-hmm. uh, The The, Left Field. Yeah, so some some good names on the soundtrack, but uh, yeah, yeah, not like a. Who do you think will be on the soundtrack for this? Lincoln Park. They'd be lucky to get the Spice Girls. It looks terrible. <laughs> I, I I not that I'm really that interested. I just want to kind of bloat the show before we get to the Denver thing. <laughs> We need more Ethan time in this part of it. Ethan, what is the worst comic book movie you've ever seen? Spawn. Spawn? Okay, that's a, that's an excellent choice. That is there. a good choice. Excellent choice. Fight that, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go with eh, probably Corman's, Corman's The Fantastic Four. I still haven't been able to bring myself to watch it yet. Well, your life will be a happier place. I've got it downstairs, that. but so. yeah, I have to watch it at some <laughs> I love point. It. I have it downstairs, yeah, hidden away. No, it's right next to yeah. It's it's in the DVD collection proper. Yeah. Is it alphabetized? Yeah. Is it next to the other Fantastic Four movies? Yeah. You know, it makes those other ones suck just being next to them. Yeah. Well, they weren't that great in the first place, but you know, oh well, they're still fun. I guess I'd have to say, oh man, you know, looking back on it, I know I had a I was a sucker for it as a kid, but that Captain America movie is pretty bad. Oh yeah, the Albert Puyan one. Yeah, oh, I've seen that. Yeah, it's dreadful. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Because the rest yeah. of them have their charms, at least. You know, the Phantom was bad. But it was fun still. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's watchable, and then there's really, really bad. I mean, you know, there's like, you know, there's Howard the Duck, which is bad, but at least it's watchable, you know. And then there's Constantine. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't get me started on Constantine. I read the comic like five years after I saw the movie, and I got I got retroactively pissed at the movie. Retroactively pissed. Nice. That's, yeah. a, that's a good name for a band right there. Retroactive. Retroactively pissed. That, that's in the Scott Pilgrim sequel. Oh, very nice. There yeah, you go. yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, uh, just, I want to throw this out really quick. I don't think this character can ever work as a movie because of that silly helmet. It didn't yeah. work for Stallone. It's obvious that, I mean, he looks like a little boy wearing wearing an army hat. It just... You wouldn't think it was because I am the law. Like, I mean, it was Stallone didn't do that movie any favors, honestly. Well, that movie was, you know, I mean, it was lousy to begin with. And, you know, I, I don't even, I mean, the cast of that film was so good, though. You had Max von Sydow and, and Diane Lane. I mean, it was a good cast. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider to balance off all the good actors. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think the problem was the cast. I mean, I think, for that matter, I think Stallone's a good, good cast, good choice for Judge Dredd. I just don't think the satire and the savageness of that character, I don't think it, think it works in America. I mean, it's a British comedy. Comic book, I think it you know kind of works out there. Guess we'll have to see. I don't, I don't know. I'll probably that's. What, I mean, I'm not going to go see this in the theater probably. Hmm. Well, we'll see who else is in it. Do we know? I have no idea. Hmm. And I don't want to waste any bandwidth looking it up. So, <laughs> have you got any other? Charles news? Grodin. Charles Grodin is in it as the bad guy. Nice. You serious? I I, I don't know. <laughs> that actually has to be curious to see him play a bad guy. Wow. That just kind of that's like the most bit. unexciting villain ever. Charles Grodin, like, I don't know. <laughs> Ethan, are you a fan of Charles Grodin? I'm, I'm so on I, the f- yeah, I like him. I like Midnight Run, but like, I just think he's one of the least interesting actors in the history of Hollywood. <laughs> All right, then. you know, in the next uh, Nicholas Winding Reefen film, Albert Brooks is playing the bad guy. So, 
That'd be interesting. Well, he was he was pretty nasty, and what was it? Out of sight. He's played some some nasties before. But he's pretty he, even in like like in like uh, modern romance and real life. He's pretty unlikable. So that's, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. I'm looking it up. Oh, you're looking up the okay. Remember, it's just called Dread now. Oh, it's just called Dread. It's just now. Dread. Yeah. Oh, okay, that was my. That's why the 1995 yeah. movie is what was coming up. It's just called Groden. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? There he is. No. Um. Peter Travis. I don't know that guy. Uh, Olivia Thirlby. She was. Uh, she's from Juno. She was like the best friend from Juno. That there's no one in this movie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Cool. Wow. So it's Urban and Thirlby. Well, that's a winning combination right yeah, there. Yeah, that doesn't sure. about the title. Can I, let's see who directed this thing. It's Peter Travis. Can, can you click on the name? Um, what? Oh, okay. Wanna see, sorry, I want to see what else he's done. <laughs> Nothing! He's done commercials and music videos, I'm sure. He did Vantage Point. Oh, no. Yep. Wow. Well, that's that's all we need to know, folks. The director of Vantage Point. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, have you, have you got anything else, Ethan? Yeah, I've got a few other stories. Uh... I have one story that I that both me and Barry have, but I'm gonna do it just to, it. to piss him off. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis will play Abraham Lincoln in Steven Spielberg's uh, long-awaited and aptly titled Lincoln. I wonder what Daniel Plainview would sound like impersonating <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. What was the play he saw again when he was being assassinated? Uh, was it Mamma Mia? I don't know. What was it? <laughs> what? Was it was it wicked? I don't remember. Um, I'm watching Death of a Salesman, and then John Wilkes Booth comes in and shoots me. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Let's just hope. Let's just hope Lincoln likes milkshakes. That's all I gotta say. Oh boy! There it is. Yes, yes. All right. What else you got, sir? Um, a director's been hired for the uh, English language remake of the French horror film Martyrs. I believe it's the guy who did The Last Exorcism, which I haven't seen. I don't know if you guys did. But uh, have either of you guys seen Martyrs? Uh, uh, my friend Greg over at Wild 105.5 tells me I need to see Martyrs. I heard it was pretty hideous, though. I watched it on Halloween, and I think it's one of the most nihilistic, vile, and pretentious pieces of garbage I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, my brother Marty completely agrees with you there. Wow. Though it's interesting watching uh, Montreal hipster icon uh, Xavier Dolan has a brief role in it, the director of uh, J'ai tout ma mère and les amours imaginaires, uh, has a brief role, and he's brutally killed. So that was interesting to see, especially <laughs> after uh, seeing a Q&A with him earlier in the week. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What else you got? That, that was all. Okay, I have one thing I want to talk to Barry about, because as you said, you've been hanging out with Mr. Lloyd Kaufman over the past couple of days a bit. Um, and you got to talk to him about his feelings about the Toxic Avenger remake and it being PG-13 and all that stuff. What 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 is his take on all this? It came up last night at the Q&A. Someone rose their hand and, and asked, you know, how do you feel about, you know, your movie, you know, Toxic Avenger came out in 84 and it's extremely violent and, and outrageous and politically incorrect and, you know, real daring for its time, even now. And, you know, how do you feel about, you know, reportedly this family-friendly PG-13 remake being done? And first of all, Lloyd Lloyd completely defended. He says he likes Steve Pink, and you know he's he's excited that he's you know going to write it and direct it, and he's been sending all the Toxic Avenger archives from Trauma to to Pink so that he has something to work with. Um, but then the, it get it went even further, and in fact, it even it became it became something of a debate um, because the guy sitting down said like there haven't been any good remakes at all, um, and then Lloyd immediately jumped on and said like well he said uh, who did he use as an example. 
he used a great writer as an example. Oh, it was um, Chandler, Raymond Chandler, because he said Raymond Chandler, um, people said, you know, how do you feel about your works being remade and the big heat being remade? And and apparently Chandler report, reportedly pointed to his bookshelf behind him and says, the big, the big heat's right there. It's not going anywhere. And he says that's how he feels about Toxic Avenger. He feels that it's a good thing the Toxic Avenger, you know, gets its – you know, uh, you know, it's only going to bring more awareness to the Toxic Avenger that this is not necessarily a bad thing that it's going to be remade. It's still apparently a little ways off. It's still, you know, it's still being written, so obviously it's still in the pre-production phase. But no, he seemed pretty, pretty extremely happy about it. And then he asked me what I thought about remakes, and I said, well, you know, I thought the Nightmare on Elm Street remake was a was a crock. But I said I agree with him. You know, I mentioned the Magnificent Seven, and you know. Um, but uh, no, I mean personally, I don't like the idea of Toxic Avenger being remade. I don't think it's meant to be remade. But but Lloyd is Lloyd is happy with it, and he really likes the director, which I'm sure helps. So so who knows? And maybe it'll maybe it'll boost awareness and sales of the original film, which I'm sure will will be a good thing. So we'll cool. See. Right on. Well, if that's it, I guess we should take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about these stars, Denver Film Fest. And uh, yeah, should be a good time. We won't talk in depth about every film just because we want to wait on one of them. So yeah, we'll be right back. Sue Ellen Greenblatt is a real person, not an internet celebrity. So we've enlisted Billy Flynn and the vicar to help her tell her story. Geek Radio Daily gives me geeky news about movies, new DVD releases, even comics and gaming. Geek Radio Daily makes me feel special. Ah, yeah. Womanly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the episodes are just 15 minutes, perfect for my commute, or for just geeking out while I'm at the office. Mm. All in one concise love package. Ooh, the package, baby. Uh-huh. And the best part is that it's a daily cast, so I'm always in the loop. Sometimes I listen to it out of the bath, put on little outfits. Ah! It makes me want to invite all my friends over to show how refreshed I feel. Mm, a slumber party, baby. What? That's not what I said. Get out the chocolate mousse. Duct tape. Oh, get out of here, you freaks. Geek Radio Daily. One 15-minute podcast provides 15% of the USDA-recommended daily allowance of geeky goodness. Subscribe through iTunes or visit geekradiodaily.com. Hi, this is Nichelle Nichols. And when I'm in this quadrant, I tune in to Screen Geeks Radio. You should, too. I always flip and love that drop. All right, Barry, what are we talking about this week again, sir? We're talking about the 33rd annual Stars Denver Film Fest in the year 2010. So much to talk about. They, they screened, what, 250 movies they said this year? About that, yeah. Did do you did you make a count of all the films you saw this year? Um, you know, I think I'm at about 14 right now, and I've still got a couple screeners to watch. Okay, yeah, my number is 27, which is about less than half of what I saw last year. Last year was nuts. But so you are able year, to breathe this year. Yeah, well, you know, and I needed to because I was doing my graduate studies in addition to everything else. But, uh, no, I, I saw some of the best. I saw the biggest, biggest ones on the, um, on the program, and unfortunately I can't talk about all of them. Um, because they were private, you know, critic yeah. screenings. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, but, we can yeah. talk about 127 hours. Yeah, we can talk about Which, that. Did we talk about that last week, or did just Jack? I don't know. I don't know. But no, yeah, but we'll 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 go through the the list and we'll yeah we'll just take it film by film, I guess. Yeah, we've got a couple of interviews still forthcoming. One with um, Michael and Carol Wilson from uh, Reconciliation, Mandela's Miracle, as well as Chris Metzler from Everyday Sunshine: The Story of Fishbone. Cool. All kinds of fun stuff coming up still that we're getting ready to post. Awesome. So, um, man, you know, where do you want to even start with this? 
I don't even know because there's, <laughs> there's so many different ways you can come at this thing. <laughs> well, I guess we could start with the beginning. I mean, let's start about with the opener, 127 hours. We both really like this film a lot. Yes. Uh, Dave and I had had the chance to see this at a at an advanced screening, and we've already talked about it. But I mean, you know, the gist of it is this is for as far as I'm concerned, Danny Boyle is back and James Franco is back. I think it's a return to form for both of them. Sorry, since when was what what was like the big thing, James Frank? I, oh yeah, the General Hospital thing, right? The General Hospital thing. Yeah, I think he's. I think he was kind of going over a little too far to the like the make mainstream. It, the, well, the William Shatner route. Let's let's have fun with who I am as opposed to what I'm able to do, and I think that's dangerous at this point in his career. I think when he's become you know an older actor and has been around for decades, but at this point, I think it's a little too young to be like. <laughs> I'm James Franco playing James Franco, or am I? I just I think it's too early for that Andy Kaufman crap, you know. Okay, and you were not a fan of of Danny Boyle between this and Train Spotting. You know, I, I I know people like you know say I'm very harsh about that, but you know what? A, a life less ordinary is uh is I think it's inexcusable. I, okay. I I will never forgive him for that movie. I will not. And but I think this is the movie that that makes me go, okay, I'm willing to wipe the slate clean and and acknowledge that this guy has serious talent, and I'm glad he made this movie. Because I really, I don't want to see anybody else make this movie. I love Danny Boyle's 127 Hours. I like what he brought to it. I think his vision made this film work. And I think his approach to it is really one of, I think this is one of the strongest films he's made. And I, I would I would be very happy if he was nominated for Best Director this year for this film. And he did have a great wink and a nod to his uh, stylism, his overstylized style, if you will, with the camel pack as he's drinking water. And you made a point of this on the Wild 105 review. Um, that you know, there's you're like, man, why does he have to do this? There's no point to this. And then there's a, it's it's kind of a joke, but it's not. That it it pays off later in a great way. Yeah. And this is essentially you know the 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 James Franco show for an hour and a half, and I think he does a good job. Probably uh, I guess an hour and fifteen minutes because that first fifteen minutes is a little different, but mm-hmm. I think it's great. I think the penultimate scene, shall we say. The, did the, people pass out? No, I did not pass we out. We were pulled out on stretchers, and we were convulsing like we were just seen into the void. Exactly, <laughs> totally. Uh, but you know, it was gory, but it wasn't um, gratuitous, which I really appreciate. I mean, it, it yeah. could have been very easily. There must be some really wimpy people at these screenings because I tell you, like I saw Saw 3D a few weeks ago. You know, there, there's no comparison. This movie is is very well done. The scene itself. In uh, in 127 hours, it's not gratuitous. It's not, it's not exploitative. It's violent. It's shocking, but it doesn't last like 30 minutes. It's it's, it's a brief scene, and I think, you know, Boyle. I mean, the the, the emphasis is on the struggle. Yeah. I mean, for me, like a scene that kind of sums up the movie, and I think it's a wonderful sequence. And it's kind of hard to explain, but I'll do what I can. There's a scene where where uh, James Franco drops something, and it's out of his reach, and he uses his foot to get it and he basically creates this little contraption to help with re- obtaining this item that he dropped and it's out of his reach and the scene is agonizing because you know how important it is that he grabs this item that he loses and he, and he uses his foot to regain the item and you want to applaud it's this wonderful moment but you're like oh crap he's still stuck between the rock and the mountain you know yeah. but the movie really is about you know every little step that we take in life that that you know leads us to to survival and leads us to to moving forward yes so. And then you saw Morning with uh, Aaron Eckhart. Oh, oh, you mean uh, Rabbit Hole? Oh, Rabbit Hole, Rabbit, Rabbit Hole. Hole. That's a good, Rabbit yeah. Hole. Yeah, so Rabbit Hole, yeah, with uh, Aaron Eckhart and uh, and Nicole Kidman. I'll say briefly about it. Uh, it. It's a very strong film. There were a few films this uh, at this film festival about uh, parents losing their child, and I think this is this was definitely the strongest one. I think Aaron Eckhart tried a little too hard in some of his scenes, to tell you the truth. Um, he was the only actor I thought in the movie where I could really tell he was he was straining just a little bit. Um, but otherwise, it's a strong performance. Nicole Kidman was sensational, and uh, Diane Weist was excellent. 
excellent. Um, and John Cameron Mitchell, who would have thought that Hedwig and his Angry Inch director could, could make a movie this strong and powerful? But it's a, it's a great film. I, I really think people should go see Rabbit Hole. Sweet. So let's get to the, the one of the more controversial films, I guess I guess we could say, is uh, just mention briefly Blue, Blue Valentine. I know you can't get into big detail, but let's just get that out of the way. What I want to say about Blue Valentine, I want to get it right out of the way, because everyone's like, well, how dirty was it? How naughty and nasty is this NC-17 movie? I want to talk about this, um, because you and I saw a film on the last <laughs> night of the event. We'll get to that shortly, but oh, yeah. let me assure you, there is nothing in Blue Valentine that comes close to what Mr. Aronofsky is about to unleash on the world. Um, Blue Valentine has two sequences that, yes, they are whatever. They're they're explicit um, he's described them as emotionally explicit scenes. I completely agree with that. I don't think the scenes deserve an NC-17 rating. I think they're completely within the bounds of an R-rated film. Um, and again, this is one I don't want to talk about ex- extensively because it's going to open up wide and whatnot. But uh, this movie this movie cut really deep for me. The performances by, by the two actors, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, are off the charts amazing. And uh, this is this is this is I've described it as kind of like a gritty 500 Days of Summer. If 500 Days of Summer was done as like this gritty indie film, um, this is probably one of the best films of its year. It, it's an incredible film. Very cool. Right on. Well, shall we talk about some of the smaller ones before we get? Or do you want to get the other big one out of the way? Oh, we can talk about some of the small ones. Did you also see Nice Guy Johnny? Or no, I did you not didn't see that one. Okay, that's the um, David Burns film. Burns film. Yeah. Yes. What, yeah. How was that? It's very pleasant. It's very pleasant. Um, actually, Julia, Julia watched that one with me. It's it's good. It's good. It's it's really sweet. Um, it's uh, you know it's kind of like a lot of Edward Burns' movies. It's it's very unassuming. It's very likable. Um, but you know he's one of these filmmakers who's trying very hard to be Woody Allen, and you know sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think it, this is as good as his best film. She's the one, but it's it it's it's very nice, and the two lead actors are perfect. I think that really helps. He has two very very likable leads, so it's it's a very good love story. I liked it. Right on. Now we both saw Echo Tone. Yes. Which is a documentary. Wow, it's about the Austin music scene versus the development of, of residential housing right across the street from a lot of these venues. I thought this was fascinating. Yeah, uh, you know, just to see a, a beautifully made movie that that really captures the 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 beauty and the real artistic community of Austin, Texas. I enjoy that very much, and and great music and really great personalities of these band members. This is it's, it reminded me a little bit of the one you you threw my way a few years ago. Um, Air Guitar Nation, just yeah. because like you love the people in the movie so much, you really are rooting for them. You really want to be a part of their journey. It's a much more serious film than Air Guitar oh, yeah, Nation, but definitely. it's it's definitely along that you just get engrossed by all these characters and all these people and these great musicians. I mean, these are independent artists who don't care if they get paid. They just want their music out there. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Um, I've actually got a whole bunch of literature about the behind the scenes of it, so I'm going to try to get an interview with the director and really talk in depth about the whole thing. That'd be great. And, yeah, it's if Echo Tone comes near you, it's well worth checking out, definitely. for sure. Um, did you get to see Reconciliation? I did not. Okay. This is a film that is about, um, you know, it's really selling it short to say it's uh, it's about Invictus. Um, you know, but but this, the, the story of Invictus with the, with the rugby game does play a central role because it just, in reality, historically, it played a very central role to the, the unification of South Africa. The film starts off talking, it starts off actually talking about the rugby game and then kind of goes back to the beginning, back when um, Mandela was kind of this freedom fighter kind of guy and got jailed and all these things he did throughout the whole time, learning that his enemy's language and really trying to figure out how to, how to find a common ground. And it's a fascinating film. It has interviews pretty much with everybody but Mandela, who's just old enough he just doesn't do interviews anymore. 
but they talk with Clint Eastwood. They talk with uh, because they actually had access to a lot of stuff from the Invictus set, which played very well because a lot of these the, these historic scenes like Mandela landing on the you know landing at the rugby team's practice facility in a helicopter. Wait, but was it set to uh, the excellent soft pop rock song about racism, uh, Colorblind, no, that there, everyone loved? No, not at all. No, 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 no. Wow. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> there it is. But this was a really great way for them to find a way to reenact the footage because there is no footage or it's way too expensive to get access to. Mm-hmm. But then it gets into interviews with the actual people on the soccer team, the captain, uh, various players. Cool. They talked with um, President DeClerc, uh, who was instrumental in actually the unification happening. They talk with uh, Desmond Tutu wow. you know, about everything. It, it's it's a really in-depth, incredibly good documentary. It's well worth checking out. I honestly think this is the kind of thing that should be shown in schools because it's captivating, but it's very historically accurate and, and very relevant, I think, even to today. Great. I think we can learn a lot from what happened in South Africa. Just instead of finding things that were different about us, let's find things that we have in common, which is very interesting. Yeah, I dug it. Very good. I want to ask you about one that you and Robert Dennerstein were were, were nuts about, uh, the Drummond Will. The Drummond Will. I think it might be, oh, man, you know, Black Swan probably is the, my favorite film of the thing, but this is up there. This is a black and white British comedy, and I gave it a four out of four review on the site, which I don't hand those out like candy exactly. <laughs> but the film just has this, it's, you, you will find some things in common with Hot Fuzz and that it takes place. It has these two city guys going to this remote little British village that's very quirky, just not without the murderous people inside for the most part. Um, But their dad dies. They end up inheriting his house to which one of the sons says, you know, just to illustrate how close they were to their dad, we've won a house. You know, it's, you know, instead of opposed to inheriting. And through a very comedic set of unfortunate events and deaths, just is an absolutely bug nuts insane movie. Cool. It's a blast. There's one guy who definitely has the Tony Randall, John Cleese, very uptight Britishman, you know, or uptight tight straight guy. Yeah. The, the straight man of the piece, if you will. When enough stuff happens that he just cracks and just goes nuts, the movie just won me over completely, even though, I mean, it had already, but it just won me over even that much more. If it comes playing near you at all, check it out. It is such a blast to watch. I mean, you, you have the guy in the suit and very... Neat and tidy, and by the end of the movie, he's in a dress cleaning blood off the floor. I mean, it just and it and it fits. It works in the movie. I love this movie. Okay, great. Um, let's see what else have we got to talk about. Well, I, I want to throw out one of my favorite films. The fest this year is a French Canadian horror film yes. called 5150 uh, Elms Way. Fifty One Fifty Elms Way. This is a story about a young man who goes to college. Um, he just moved into his dorm. He just got to the university. Got into film school. Film school. Yes, thank you. And he's uh, he's on his bike. He's riding around a neighborhood, and his bike gets a flat tire. Um, he randomly just picks a house. He knocks on the door and says, hey, I have a flat tire. Are you any chance you can call a taxi cab for me? And the guy says, wait. So the young man is waiting, waiting, waiting outside to no avail. He goes inside. He goes, hi, anybody here? All of a sudden, the man of the house locks the kid in, in, a, in an abandoned, empty closet. And you spend the rest of the movie wondering, why is this man here? Why are they keeping him here? And what is that exactly is in store? And, and uh, the movie is not predictable in that no. sense. The first 30 minutes or so, they... They kind of it's they set things up. Well. Yes, it's it's definitely like the typical captivity kind of drama. But then it gets really sick, and it gets really twisted, and the knots keep getting turned and turned and turned. Um, it leads to an ending that is completely haunting and tremendously disturbing and troubling. Um, but you know, I think 
in a wonderful way. I think it's a I great so. film. I think this, I, the best way I can put this, what if Saw was, what if Jigsaw was a more interesting character? I think you can make that correlation. <laughs> sure, sure. Because it's about a care about the man is a, is someone who's driven by a self, a, a self-created sense of righteousness, even right. though there were religious, religious undertones in the whole thing. He yes. came to this whole thing by himself. And it's very dark and twisted, but you can kind of see how he got there. And it's, I thought it was fascinating. The, the, the lead, the, the, the kid, was great as they're playing chess more and more, and he gets more and more obsessed with it and with the family and with the dad. And yeah, wow. you're never gonna. The game of chess will never be the same after you see this movie. That's no. all I'm saying. But uh, yeah, this is a wonderful film. I think one of the most disturbing parts was when they just about escaped, and then he didn't. Right. I'll just yeah. No, that. it's very yeah. You're absolutely. Right. It's very psychological, and this is not a predictable film at all. I there are numerous times where I thought, okay, it's gonna go this, or it's gonna go in this direction, but no, it, it, this film constantly pulled the rug out from underneath me. It was a uh, it was it was exciting to watch because I had no idea where this film was going. And once we learned what the big overall deal is with the house and everything, I was just just stunned. I couldn't believe like wow, this movie is it's going pretty far. Yeah, it, it did not hold back. It went it, it it was in go for broke mode and it went all the way and I think it pulled it off. There's some shocking, shocking stuff in the last reel of this film. Yeah, yeah. the chess the final chess game, that's all I'll say. Yeah. It's anyway. just incredibly twisted, but very good. Yeah, I, that was insanely good. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else was there. There was punk barbershop punk. Yeah, I didn't see this one. You really liked this one, though. Yeah, this is it's a documentary about you know it's barbershop punk. You're like, how, what can this possibly be? It's like last year when I saw Beetle Queen conquers Tokyo. It's going to be a monster <laughs> movie. No, it's about Japanese right. people loving insects, which was a great movie. Barbershop punk is about net neutrality, which everyone has probably heard about at some point, but no one cares about. Well, you know, this is this is something Lloyd Kaufman is very concerned about. In fact, he gave a speech about it last night. Did he? Yeah. Uh, essentially, the whole story of net neutrality is there's this movement in Congress to allow internet service providers to block what kind of sites you can have access to um, based on whatever they want. Generally speaking, the most common version is uh, file sharing. <clears throat> excuse me, over peer-to-peer networks. And the story comes about is this guy who loves barbershop music. And he ends up saying, you know, I wonder if kids would like this. So he starts sharing it on the file sharing sites. And he keeps getting blocked off and blocked off. And he asks Comcast, why are you guys blocking my traffic? And they come back, we do not block traffic. We will have never blocked traffic. We will never block anyone's traffic. And then he started keeping logs of all the times that Comcast was blocking his traffic. Which turned into the story that opened the door on talking about net neutrality. Because originally, the internet was treated the same way that the, the mail was and phones are. It's illegal for someone to open your mail. <clears throat> Sorry, man, so much. Okay. Uh, it's illegal for someone to tap your phone calls without a warrant. It used to be illegal for anyone to, to track what you did online or to block anything you did. And there was a point in time where once high-speed internet access, after dial-up had come, but once broadband kicked into, into gear, there was this movement to block certain types of access. Uh, there was a point in the movie where... Um, I forget what it's called. It's called like NARAL or something. It's a pro-choice uh, organization. Had all their texts blocked by Verizon. Mm. And they contacted Verizon and they said, that's okay, we're going to go ahead and block, we're going to block all the texts from the National Right to Life people as well. This ended up bringing people who were so diametrically opposed on something as polarizing as abortion together to say, this is wrong, we need to stop doing this. Wow. And they end up getting people, like they get Henry Rollins to come in because... If you need someone to hyperbolize, you bring in Henry Rollins. Nice. He starts talking about, like, you know, if you don't think this is a big deal, imagine someone comes in and kidnaps and rapes your daughter and breaks in and you can't do anything about it because he had permission. Like, 
he's so awesome. He, he's You know how fired up he can get when he talks. Oh, yeah. And there are several other punk musicians they bring in to bring the punk side of it. But it's a fascinating documentary about where the rights of the internet are headed. And it's it's fascinating and disturbing as all get out as well. I loved it. Oh, so good. Sounds great. No, it's a fascinating and really important subject matter. Very cool. Yeah. Did you see uh, Surviving Hitler? I did not. That's that's one I've still got. Okay, yeah, it's great. It's great. This is basically uh, kind of the love story version of Valkyrie. It's about Operation <laughs> Valkyrie. It's about a nurse and a, a spy who's a SS um, officer and uh, how they become involved with the plot to, Adolf Hitler, to kill Adolf Hitler and how their lives are affected before and after World War II. It's a, it's a tremendous film. It's a really moving love story. and incredible incredible story but completely true and it has footage that you know some of it's archive footage but there's a lot of like home video footage that is really really eye-opening that uh you know that that has never been seen before and it's just remarkable to see this this particular couple's journey through this really horrific part of history very cool that was very good want to give a love to a movie called the new year uh which was about it's essentially like this girl who was going to college her dad got sick and she came home to take care of him and has been living in her hometown forever since then and works in a bowling alley i'm sorry bowling center Mm. and it's a very fun quirky little romantic comedy that's really all i can really say about it um it's a lot of fun it's very smart it's got great performances all the way through it's a good time okay I want to mention, too, that I was tremendously disappointed in because they sounded so fascinating. One was called Of Love and Other Demons. This film uh, was described uh, in the program as a film uh, dealing with exorcism and and uh, priest who has to exercise this, this young girl. Exorcise, not exercise. This is not a workout film. <laughs> anyway. Not that um, kind of movie. Well, you know what? Like, from that description, you would expect a pretty sensational film. But actually, the movie was one of these essentially anti-Catholic church movies about how the church abused young women who had been accused of being possessed and how a lot of these young women eventually died because they were starved or, or beaten or whatnot. Um, so it was one of those films, which is definitely not fun to watch. It was also remarkably slow really really slow um one of the slowest movies i think i've ever seen in my life and i like slow movies but this was really slow <laughs> really slow um visually beautiful film almost every shot uh very po- poetic very textured just beautiful imagery but uh yeah um i gotta say i was grateful when it was over and the one that really amazed me was because again like you kind of fall for these these descriptions sometimes in the in the program and you know 9 out of 10 the program is completely you know upfront about what the film is but according to the program of the Denver Film Festival Audrey the Trainwreck had a shocking ending that no one will see coming it was this quirky film and a challenging comedy and you know those of oh that that sounds great that's right up my alley well it's challenging because nothing happens in it. The gimmick is that we see these people get up in the morning, they take a shower, they put on their clothes, they go to work, they go home, they watch TV, they go to sleep, they get up in the morning, they put on their clothes, they go to work, they take a shower. You know, it's like it's 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 basically the routine of life. Nothing happens in this movie. Nothing. And finally, this guy dates this girl. And this movie makes her a little offbeat and quirky, and you think, okay, this is something sinister. Is up? This is going to be like audition or something. And then uh, I don't, I don't want to give it away for those who want to see Audrey the Trainwreck, but there is this ridiculous moment of violence that punctuates the end of the movie, which is so anticlimactic, so forced, so out of the blue, and so the movie just trying to find an ending. Um, as soon as the end credits roll, like I just, I took off. I could not believe, like I just sat through this thing. And the characters are likable. The actors never seem to be acting, and it really did seem to be like this existential look at life. But I would recommend this movie to no one. And uh, all right then, yeah, by challenging, challenging and and dull are two very different things. 
But yeah. Audrey the Trainwreck was very dull. Wow. All right. Well, I've only got two movies left I want to talk about. So do you have any other ones? One, one, Both of them we both saw. Okay, well, let's talk about them. First of all, George, The People versus George Lucas. Yeah. Um, you said I need to see this movie because I love it. I said yes. This is right up your alley. The spaced references and stuff like that I love because I almost wanted to say the lines along with it. Um, but I also, oh man, this is such a rough movie because I think it's very well done, and relatively speaking, it was fairly even-handed. Uh, because yes, there's a lot of slamming on George Lucas, but at the end, everyone's like, "I love Star Wars still." That's why I have so much feeling about this thing. Um, I think it might be like five years too late. I hate to say. Like, this movie would have been far more relevant about five years ago, I think. Um, it's fun. It's worth checking out, but it, it's not going to change the world. It's pretty much stating all the points that everyone's had the whole time. If this is if you're someone who's just seen Star Wars and has never had the discussion or didn't listen to our George Lucas episode, it's worth watching. But otherwise, I, I don't know. I, it was I, good. I liked it a little more than you do. I, you know, I mean, you're right. It would have been nice if this had come out, you know, right after Revenge of the Sith. But I don't think it's. I, I don't think the the subject matter is not relevant. And I think when we do see subsequent Star Wars movies, and you, and you know, we are. I think this movie will definitely continue this conversation that everybody's still having. What I didn't like about the movie is that, frankly, I mean, it's about a bunch of whiny, nerdy white kids bitching about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I think Chris Gore. Word, Chris Gore was great in it. I thought. I thought he was hilarious. There's a lot of. There's a lot of good. Good. Talk I hate in that guy. Do Sorry, you? Chris do you? Gore. Do you? He sucks. Oh. My problem with the movie is that, you know, I just uh, thought it was a little redundant. I mean, they'd spend about 15 minutes talking about the Greedo shot first thing. But no, I mean, if anything, I thought it was just fun to, you know, just kind of be, just to sit and listen to these discussions once again. But, you know, a little of it goes a long way, I think. Yeah, I I think the biggest thing, the reason why it doesn't resonate more with me is because I've had this discussion with so many people so many times. I was, you know, it just was a bit redundant to me personally. I don't think it was a poorly put together movie. I thought the thing about all the fan films was great. I agree. I think at best it's a very thorough film. I like that they talked about the 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 holiday special, holiday special, you know, and then they show like all these clips of all these really ingenious fan films. So no, this movie is clearly for the fans and by the fans. And I think that alone makes it worthwhile, although not, not essential. I think it's better than like fanboys for by far. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could do much worse, but it's just, you know, it didn't knock my socks off for sure. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we're not going to talk super in-depth because we want to wait till it comes out and so Ethan and us can talk about it because this, this film really deserve, does deserve to be its own topic, and that's Black Swan. Yeah. Um, haunting, I think, is pretty fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> that's one way to describe it, but yeah, Disturbing, keep going. Disturbing. Um, uncomfort- erotic. Uncomfortably yeah, erotic, definitely I would erotic. say. I would say uncomfortably erotic. Just it was because, uncomfortable for Dave. Well, no, no, no. I mean, in the character and how Very Natalie Portman... arousing. Oh, I, I was having a great time. <laughs> no, what I mean by that is how Natalie Portman's character handles the eroticism early on in the film, and she becomes more and more intrigued and, yeah. and interested in it. But initially, it's just so uncomfortable. You can't help it but squirm in your own seat a little bit because she just doesn't know how to handle it. I thought that was fascinating. Um, it does become pretty nightmarish near the end. Mm-hmm. Is fair to say. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's really. I think that's enough for me to say about it right now. Because yeah, I don't want to give any more away. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I, I've said everything I want to say about the film. No, I one of the best of the year, easily. Yeah. So, yeah. and I, one thing that's very well worth pu- putting pointing out. Last year we did whine a lot about how the sound was at the King Center. It was a lot better this year. Seeing George. Oh, good. People versus George Lucas in there. Good. Good. Um, the sound at the Ellie Hawkins sounded great for Black Swan. So I mean, there's a lot moving on, and it sounds like after next year. 
they're all going to be at that new place down in Colfax with the better theater. Oh, uh, I asked Jack this last week. Was uh, another year the new Mike Lee film there? Because I'm dying to see that. It did not play there. No, no. Um, some of the other ones that we got there were the kind of the bigger name ones. We did get one called Morning with Gene Triplehorn, which has gotten a lot of word. It also stars uh, Laura Linney and uh, Elliot Gould. We also got the the Jim Carrey film that I'm madly in love with. Uh, I love you, Philip Morris. And um, then um, Happy Thank You More Please won the audience selection for best oh, film. That's so great. I didn't know that. Big congratulations to them. Absolutely. Oh, congratulations, Josh I'm, Radner. That's fantastic. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm killing myself because I wasn't able to see it. I was going to try to duck out of. You tried. Of, you tried. You know, they had one more happen. screening on on the second to last night, right after Black Swan. But they did all the pomp and circumstance of the jury awards and the blah blah blah. blah. So by the time the this credits rolled. I was ten minutes into the movie, so I wasn't able to make it. That's okay. Yeah, it, it was quite the build up to Black Swan, wasn't it? Because I yeah. thought it was going to start at seven thirty sharp. No, it was like eight eight ten by the time the movie finally began. But that's okay. It was a fun night. Yeah. And you guys didn't see Uncle Boone me. No, missed that one. Unfortunately, my screener copy that was very kindly uh, loaned to me uh, by our friends at the at the office, Tammy and Jenny. Uh, the screener copy was a bust, and I couldn't make it to any of the screenings. So. It yeah. was not meant to be. I did see the documentary on William Burroughs, though. William Burroughs, A Man Within, that was fascinating. Horrifying, but fascinating. <laughs> and uh, everybody needs to see Norman Mailer, uh, The American. That is an incredible documentary about a really incredible person. It's one of these movies, even if you have no idea who Norman Mailer is, you'll walk away definitely talking about that that man and engrossing his life. So there's a lot of good films this year. There really was. I think last year I liked better just because it was such a crazy selection. You know, everything from Slumdog to Imaginarium and everything in between, plus those three great documentaries on filmmaking, Official Rejection, Best Worst Movie, and Tales from the Script. Um, and I don't think... I don't think it just seems like it wasn't quite as amazing this year for whatever reason, but, but it was uh, still solid. It was yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah. So huge props to thank you so much to uh, to Tammy and to Jenny over at the film. Thank Fest. you, thank you. You rock they our took worlds. Great as always. care of us. Yep. Um, to to um, Keith Garcia for programming stuff like Fifty One Fifty Elms Way. Thank you, um, Keith. As always, we have Britain, Britta, and everybody down there. You guys did put on a great show this year. I, I can't yep. wait for next year. I, yeah, such a great time all the way around. So um, I guess that's enough for the conventions for the year. Holy crap! So shall we talk about what is hitting in theaters this upcoming weekend? Sure. All right. Well. It's it's funny. It almost feels like January. <laughs> What's funny is this did have a screening and then it got pulled. Really? For the press. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, opening in alphabetical order, you have... Uh, yeah. Well, just you, say it. You have Cher and Christina Aguilera in Burlesque. Hell, hell yeah. <laughs> kind of like if Showgirls is directed by Uva Bull. Wow. Then you've got Dwayne, Damn. formerly The Rock Johnson, in Faster. So there yeah. you go. So if those slow of you... justice is no justice. <laughs> and Billy Bob Thornton's in this one too. I, I'm gonna try to catch this. Are you now? I think I am. You know what? If this movie rocks, I swear this movie looks like it could be like a cousin to that Drive Angry 3D movie. It looks like yeah. the same sort of film. Um, Love and Other Drugs. Interesting. This is uh, the new film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. It's about Viagra. Is it? It's about Viagra. Yeah, it's a comedy about Viagra. Wah, wah. All right, then. And then finally, uh, this is Disney, right? Yep. Yeah, Tangled. This is Disney's new film, Tangled. I can't remember if it's Disney or Pixar, but yeah, it's Disney's film. It, it's, it's Disney, yeah. With uh, Zach Levi and Mandy Moore. And uh, yeah. All right. I'll talk and about it. And more about that, Dave cannot say. I mean, can you at least like, let us know if your thumb is in the air or can he. Well, it's, I, well, now I know, but get it's, it. it's it's pointing in a vertical direction. We'll there say. you go. All right. Well, good. See, this this is okay. Yes. Good. Good. All right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
it's sometimes sometimes it's hard not being able to talk about the stuff, especially the stuff you like, because you don't yeah. really want to give it a push. Uh, there, the, you know how we said the Princess and the Frog was a start and a step in the right direction? This continues the trend, I will say. Wonderful. Thank so, you. Yes. Yeah, great, great. That's that's great. All right. Um, well. <laughs> On DVD. What, from, <laughs> from one high point to the bottom of the hill, um, easily one of the worst films of the year, The Twilight Saga Eclipse, The Further Adventures, adventures of Edward, Bella, and uh, Teen Wolf. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, one of the big uh, disappointments of the summer in terms of box office, uh, office, at least with Nicolas Cage and Alfred Molina. Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, the four-disc Blu-ray DVD combo. Wow. Yeah, or there's just a two-disc DVD. But if you're going to buy it, just buy the right version. Cause, and there's a coupon on, on DisneyMovieRewards.com for like 10 bucks off on the movie. So you can't go wrong. That's pretty good. But even with 10 bucks off, it's still like 29 right? It's going to be like 25 with the coupon. But for okay. two movies... Yeah, yeah, two really great movies. That's cool. Um, Dave and I are split skis on this one. Uh, Dave really did not like this movie at all. I thought it was... Uh, uh-huh. I almost I almost said good, but that's not true. Uh-huh. I, it's I hated it. You thought it was mediocre. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, and unfortunately James Mangold. I love this director, but this is night and day. And uh, yeah, you know what? It was a flop for a reason. It's just not not a special film. Yeah. Um, Dave loves this one. Oh. I have not seen this one yet. Waking Sleeping Beauty documentary about the Disney years. It's one of one of three Disney documentaries to releasing on the same day. I can't. I've, uh, I'm definitely getting Waking Sleeping Beauty, and I'll probably get the other two. I almost said Sleeping Booty, but that's a different. That's movie. our crap title of the week. That's a, that's, the that's a the, hi, the hip hop soundtrack. Yes. Sleeping Booty, starring Beyonce. Wake up, that Sleeping Booty. Um, Beyonce, like I said, okay. Uh, man, this is actually playing in some dollar theaters. In fact, this is playing in our Darth dollar theater right now. Sorry. Vampires suck. That movie made money, didn't it? It made about thirty-five million, which makes it a bigger hit than Scott Pilgrim versus <sighs> the World. Which is there's no justice in the yeah, world. Yeah, no, no, especially when that's the case. Uh, we've got Parks and Recreations season two. With that's Dan a great Hunt. show. Yes, I liked season one. Uh, that's that that character is an excellent fit for him. That's a fascinating show. Yeah, I need to. It's on streaming. Wait a second, Parks and Recreation. Oh, I have you're not seen of, that. I'm thinking of Community. I think of Eastward and Down. Oh, yeah, that's Dan, what I'm thinking. Yeah, Danny McBride. Gosh, I can't yeah. believe. Yeah, no, no, I've never seen Parks and Recreation. That's Amy Poehler and Rashida Jones, right? Yeah, yeah and uh, Aziz Ansari and Paul Schneider. Yeah, I've not seen a single episode. I really want to. It's on. The streaming. first season's a little, eh, but the second season was awesome. Okay, because so. I, st- I started the first episode and it felt like it was trying too hard to be The Office. Yeah, but it, it finds it finds its voice. Okay. Cool. Okay. Well, I think both seasons are on streaming, so we have no excuse to miss them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've heard it's good. Uh, the boys, the Sherman Brothers story. Now, do you know who they are? Uh-uh. These are the men who are responsible for writing the entire score for Mary Poppins. Uh, mm. They wrote a lot. Usually, a lot of the when you think back to the '60s and '70s and even the '50s, somewhat they wrote it to Small World. Okay. When you think of the Disney sound of music, you know that they're, that that Disney kind of song. These guys are responsible for it. I suddenly remember this being in theaters. But it was like one weekend or something. Yeah, yeah. Really, I think they got it yeah. in Tivoli. That's and right. It's actually right. directed by their sons. Oh, cool. Which is really cool. Okay. So, yeah, I, I want to check that out in a bad way. No, that's cool. One of your favorite movies of the year, Barry. Wow, this is coming on DVD now. Yeah. That's amazing. Because let me think. I saw this what, back in March or April. I mean, this yeah. this is an old movie. They usually, you know, it's usually like three or four months. But no, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Holy crap! I feel like it was. I was like 14 years old when I saw this. That's uh, with Steve Zahn, and that's really it for the the name people in the cast. Um, based on one of my absolute absolute favorite uh, um, web comic strips that's been released subsequently. Pushed by Sapphire. It's based on that. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Wow. Well. 
Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, man, they basically take like what's really wonderful and complex and witty and make it into a dumb kids movie. Not not terrible, no question. I mean, there's been worse, but uh, it's it's nothing special. And really, watching it, it just made me want to read the comic. And then finally, uh, Walt and El Guapo, which is about Walt Disney going down to Mexico and getting the inspiration for the for Three Caballeros. And a lot of Disney films this week. Yeah, that's why I said this is the third of the three documentaries, and they're yeah. not just Disney animated films; they're documentaries about the Disney history. Which, as a Disney geek, I'm so happy about. Isn't El Guapo the name of the villain from Three Amigos? It is, and it means the handsome, right? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> I seen think, the film yet. I think it does. Okay, yeah. well, I don't know. Whatever, it's all good. Um, Can we pause it? I actually have an email. You do? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, then, yes, let me go ahead and pause this this while, we, so while we pull sorry. up our email. Hang yeah, on just a second, that. everyone. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting about this email. All right. Um, Christopher, I owe you a world of apologies. I sincerely apologize. You sent me this really great email. Uh, at the end of episode 128, you sent me this, and I assume that Dave got it too, and that we would just get to it on the show, and I keep forgetting. Anyway, it's November now. It's over a month. Please <laughs> forgive me, but uh, yeah. This now is, I know what you were talking about, Chris. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so this was uh, this was about uh, racist stereotypes. So basically, you know, uh, Marty and I were, were whining about how Hawaii gets treated, and this is the email. It says, hey, Barry, listening to the end of episode 128, and this discussion on the typical stereotypes that are portrayed in film and television and you mentioning Hawaii Five O got me a thinking. Obviously the biggest and most dangerous terrorists don't travel through the big island every week, but is the new series a little better at portraying the state in a more realistic light? While we do spend some time, at least in montages, at the beach and poolside, not that I mind, surfer girls are hot, we do get we do see less Magnum PI style shirts, and we do get into the working class neighborhoods and trailer parks. Do you think in general we are seeing a trend to show things for what they are rather than what everyone thinks they are? Do you think it is even possible when so many locations are recreated in parts of the world uh, that are nothing like the places like Boston, Chicago, New York, and Vancouver, uh, New York, in Cincinnati, etc.? Just thoughts, Christopher P. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, this is really thoughtful stuff, and you make an excellent point because how many times have we seen a movie that, oh, man, they really captured the the flavor and style of the place? And no, it was a studio backlot or you know, it was like, what, a CGI set or something. Um there's a lot of ways to answer that, and I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I've not seen a single episode of the new Hawaii Five-O. I want to because I hear Scott Kahn is the real deal and that he might be up for an Emmy and that he's really terrific in it, which is great. Of all things, I never thought Scott Kahn would be a good Dano, but apparently he is. <laughs> and that, that's great. And I like Scott Kahn. Um, but no, I have not seen it yet. Um, I think it's kind of a case-by-case case situation. I mean um, – Gosh, I mean, it's like the um, the film that I saw recently that that dealt directly with Colorado Springs and was set in Colorado Springs, even though they fictionalized, was Fast Food Nation. And I don't think that movie captured at all what Colorado Springs is like and what it's about and what its flavor is like. But that's because the film had such a narrow focus. It really wasn't about the people. It was about how we love our fast food and how we're a bunch of evil, awful people for wanting to love uh, delicious cows. So... I think uh, I think you know it's case by case. When it comes to Hawaii, I mean, oddly enough, I do think something like Fifty First Dates is a really strong example because even though it, it's it's you know there's, it's very humorous, I think something like that is honest because not only is this something that a lot of local people I know think it's like a spot on portrait, but through humor there is a lot of truth in that, and there, it really is a very positive, strong, surprisingly enough, a really strong and surprisingly uh, very sympathetic and and very loving look at, at local people. Um, and what you know, what it's like to just casually live on Hawaii. 
unlike something like Lilo and Stitch where everybody's living in grass huts and they live in the beach and they're going surfing every day, you know, and so. Um, yeah, but that was a documentary, Barry. Well, <laughs> <laughs> another way, when you go TV, I know I mentioned this a while back when I was going through <clears throat> Supernatural. They had an episode set in Monument, Colorado, which is about 20 minutes from where we are right yeah. now. And their their lockdown is turned into the Assault on Precinct 13 episode. That's literally what it is. It's a great episode. Hmm. But they're like, well, we got to get to the art. The, the closest armor we, we can get to is in Boulder, which you have to drive through Denver to get to or can drive 20 minutes to get to Colorado Springs for. And it's just a little thing. It's just like a throwaway. You're like, you know, no one did their research. So you have shows that really are on that end, and then you have shows that really do try to, to show a city for what it is. Yeah, and I think, I think um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it really is... Um, a very good thing when they try to to authenticate locations for where they are um, and this is a goofy example but I think you'll understand when I say this something like Escape from New York when they, when Snake Plissken is at the world is at the World Trade Center and he has to you know you no know, he is at the Statue of Liberty and he has to get to the World Trade Center I mean you you can visualize and go okay I know where that is that's a heck of a walk he has to cover a lot of ground there are people everywhere who want to kill him like we can understand that geography because we know New York and I think when filmmakers do something like that as opposed to being like you know you're watching a movie and you go okay he just drove from one place to another that would normally take me three hours and it only took them three minutes um, I think there is something to be said for authenticity it not only captures the local flavor in the case of like Boston and in The Departed um, I think it also just it, it rings true for the story and, and you know this that, that means you're using the location to actually tell the story as opposed to just give it some kind of artificial flavor it may not provide so. what do you think Ethan what do you think with like, uh, it's interesting because I uh, Shivers which I watched this week is set in Montreal mm-hmm. and it's actually very much about well at least in the research the research I've been doing for my paper it, it talks about how uh, it very much did represent the setting at the time in the mid 1970s and uh, the basic frustration and whatnot that people felt so yeah Cronenberg's a good guy for that at least and I'll tell you what, like his movies, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of reasons for wanting to go to Canada, but his movies, I mean, really have made me want to. Watching uh, Dead Ringers, I think last year, um, just looking at like the locations and just the architecture of the buildings. So like on one hand, like it makes it look like such a cool, chic, mysterious place. And then I wonder like, okay, is it, you know, did he just pick these places that, that you know, that kind of give to the, the chilly atmosphere that so many of his movies have? And really in real life, they're just like, you know, these, these really – casual locations i mean do you, do you think it's just the way that he captures them or do you think he genuinely finds places that that bring you know that that sinister tone because the places themselves have that kind of sinister aura to them well toronto used to be a cool place but <laughs> then scott pilgrim happened well there is i guess it's still cool it's but... cool i don't know i've never been there I montreal is better okay fair enough first blood makes british columbia look pretty pretty beautiful even with all those redneck hunters out for John Rambo, it still looks like a beautiful place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> beautiful place. And, of course, the X-Men movies and the X-Files. And yep. Yeah, I want to see Canada one of these days. I really do. I have a friend who um, – where does he live? I'm trying to think. I can't think of where he lives all of a sudden. But I have a friend who actually lives in Canada, and he keeps inviting me to go up to the Toronto Film Festival one of these. You know, he probably lives in Toronto. Imagine that. But he keeps <laughs> inviting me to come to the Toronto Film Festival. And I think one of these years I'm definitely going to take him up on that because I'd love to see it. Totally, totally. And if you want to send us an email, have us read it and discuss it in depth. By yeah. all means, do. Two months later. Sorry again, Chris. I feel terrible about that. I really do. Chris at johnja.net. We should admit. Also say they got a fun show over there. God, um, fun so podcast. Sorry. But shoot us an email, podcast Barry, if you want to read two months later. 
Uh, Dave or Ethan, all at ScreenGeeks.com. You can hit us there. You can also shoot, leave us a voicemail at 719-358-2675. Uh, just as a show note, we are taking next week off for Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll be back the week after that. Oh, we, Actually, we might be taking two weeks off because I'm going to be out of town doing the uh, King Tut exhibit. Okay. So we'll, we'll figure something out. It, it might be a couple weeks before we're back. but Yeah, it might be a while. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll be back. But until, you know, whenever that is. This is Dave. This is Barry. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Liam Neeson, Vampire Hunter. He should play Abraham Lincoln in Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. You know he will, too. That's the thing. <laughs>